Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. We pray that your grace would overshadow us this morning. Lord, that you would help me today to walk this fine line between legalism and license. God, I pray that I would in no way commend what you do not commend nor condemn what you do not condemn. Lord, help us to see that your ways are the very best for each and every one of us. That your gospel is abundant life. And that you yourself, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. And if we want to come unto the Father, we must come through you. So help us to come today. Help us to receive your word with thankfulness, even in the hard things. We make this our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we'll be today. If you want to open your copy of God's word there too. First Corinthians 6, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 20 once again this morning. is a series that we have entitled Gospel Distortions. What we're talking about in this particular series is those things in our culture and in many of our lives that run directly contrary to the good news of the gospel and run directly contrary to God's grace in Jesus Christ. Things that would keep us from seeing the truth, keep us from walking in the grace of God. Things that have been so, many of these have become so accepted by our society that we even to talk about them in our churches now has become abnormal. It's been amazing how many folks have, have somewhat congratulated me over uh, addressing some of these topics. And it's like, how could I not? The Word addresses these things. This is good. From the very beginning today that we would see this word is good and it's meant for our good. So we're going to address another hard topic today from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me give you a few statistics about this particular issue before we get directly to it today. We know from many studies that half of all American marriages today end in divorce. In fact, in Several recent studies, we've seen how it's actually worse in the church than it is in the rest of the world. It's very sad. Half of all marriages end in divorce, but half of all American marriages begin this way. In 1970, half a million American couples were doing this, half a million. Today, the number is 8 
million. In 40 years, it has vastly multiplied. One in four American women will have done this by the age of 20. One in four. Studies show that these couples have a 75% divorce rate, not 50%. The couples who engage in what we're going to talk about this morning have a 75%. Three out of four of these relationships will end in divorce. Today, the gospel distortion we're going to talk about, I know this is a hard issue, but we're going to talk about the issue of cohabitation. Now, how many of you in this room have ever heard a message about cohabitation before? Neil, because he was at the 8 o'clock service. Thank you, Neil. All right. This is a hard issue. I'm not going to sell it lightly today. I want to walk the fine line of grace and truth, speaking the truth in love. And I pray this morning from the very beginning, please hear me. If you right now find yourself in a cohabiting relationship, please don't close your ears. Don't assume what I'm going to say before you even hear it. Please allow this book and the God who wrote it, who loves you infinitely, to speak into your life words of grace and truth. It could very well change your life. And that's what we want this morning, to see God come in and do remarkable and amazing things that only He can do. And so I'm praying for that today. Cohabitation, where do we find it in the Bible? Well, first thing we need to understand is that you will not, if you search the word cohabitation on Bible Gateway or any of the Bible resources that you may have, you will not find that word anywhere in this book. And so some would say, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about cohabitation. Well, the reason for that is because that word has only been around for about the last 50 years. That's a new word that we've created to describe a relationship that wasn't as prevalent uh, back then as it was now that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have anything to say about this. It does speak directly to two issues which run directly in line with the issue of cohabitation with those who choose to live together before they get married or just choose not to get married at all. And these issues are found in this, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. He speaks of those who are involved in sexual immorality and adultery. 33 times in the scriptures we find a direct reference to sexual immorality it's the greek word porneia from which we get our english word pornography and the broad definition of porneia is it, it literally means this that every sexual act outside of the bond the covenant relationship bond between a husband and a wife any action sexually speaking outside of that bond is what the bible refers to as porneia as sexual Immorality. So it includes what we talked about last week with homosexuality. It includes pornography. It includes a host of other things that we could talk about this morning. 33 times in Scripture. 67 times in Scripture the Bible mentions the issue of adultery. It's found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When I was growing up, I can remember hearing this word. And I remember for the longest time when I heard the word adultery, I for some reason thought that it only applied to people who were married. I, I remember thinking you could only commit adultery if you were married. Anything else wasn't really adultery because to me I had, I had put adultery together with cheating on your spouse. And so when I read adultery in the scriptures, I just assumed this just applies to married people. It's not what the word means though. Again, it makes reference to any 
sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage relationship between a husband and his wife before God. So we think about this issue. The first thing I want you to know is this. This is a gospel issue. Folks, please do not think that we will address this issue on the level of strict morality any more than we did last week. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, society, society tells us it just makes sense. The mentality here is try it before you buy it. Now let me address that on a practical level first and foremost. My wife and I talked about this idea, try it before you buy it. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If, if you've bought into that mentality, that that's the way that, that's a principle by which, you, by which you should live your life, let me encourage you to do this. I want you to go this afternoon to Walmart. Choose our, our nasty little Walmart here in Hardensburg. That's a good one to go to. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into those four aisles where they keep all the food. Okay? And I want you to go to the aisle where there's the jars of peanut butter and I want you to get one of those jars down off the shelf, and I want you to screw the top off that sucker, and I want you to take these two fingers like I used to do when I was a kid, and I want you to scoop out some peanut butter. And I, want you, I mean a big old scoop of peanut butter. And I want you to put that into your mouth and eat that peanut butter, and I want you to enjoy it like I did when I was a kid. I, my parents never caught me doing that, but I did it. And I want you to enjoy that scoop of peanut butter. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take the top and I want you to screw it back on the jar of peanut butter. I want you to put it back on the shelf. Okay, and then what I want you to do is I want you to go two aisles back is where all the chips are. And I want you to rip open one of those bags of chips. And I want you to take a handful, whatever kind you want. You like barbecue, you like sour cream and whatever it is, you can do that. And I want you to take a handful of those chips and I want you to eat them right there in the aisle. You can make a mess if you want to. I don't really care. And I don't want you to even fold the bag up. I just want you to leave, take the open bag and set it back on the shelf. And then I want you to go up front where they keep the milk. And I want you to grab one of those gallons of milk. And I want you to take the top off of it. And I just want you to drink a big old mouthful of that thing right in front of everybody. And then I want you to screw the top back on and put it right back in there. Now, how many of you are actually going to do that? <laughs> this morning, yeah. you've got one contestant up here up front. George Marshall at our 8 o'clock service said, you're going to end up like this. He kind of gave me this symbol. We know what that is, don't we? We know that that is theft. Then why do we do the very same thing in so many other areas of our life? Taking what we've not paid the price for. Taking what does not rightfully belong to us. Again, don't hear this as a word of condemnation. Just stay with me. I want you to hear the grace of God this morning. So society says it just makes sense. Try it before you buy it. Of course, Proverbs 14, 12 speaks to this, saying there's a way that seems right to a man. It's a way that seems to make sense, but the end thereof, the end is the way to death. So be careful with just going with common sense, as they say. The church has said, though, for the last, at least as long as I can remember growing up, this used to be referred to as living in sin. I can even remember this growing up. I, had an, I have an aunt who I always wondered what the deal was uh, with the relationship between her and the, and the man that she lived with. We, weren't, we never called him 
Uncle Dallas, it was just, our family never really spoke about it. We would go to their house, and it was just really odd at times. I didn't know quite what to make of it. I kind of got the picture that they weren't married, but I really didn't know exactly what to make of the situation. My parents never spoke of it. My grandparents never addressed it. It was just kind of the family secret that nobody wanted to talk about. Eventually, they got married, and that was even weird to me. I was at the wedding, and I thought, well, I I don't really know what's going on here. It was just weird. And I remember that growing up, and people would refer to that kind of a relationship as living in sin. But folks, I want to tell you this morning, church, hear me. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, hear me. Apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross, that is the definition of your life. Living in sin is the definition of your life until the day when Jesus Christ saves your soul from death and hell and the grave. And for so long, the church has simply just pointed the finger at these types of relationships and said, wrong, 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 sin, sin, sin. You're going to go to hell, you know. And we've forgotten the part from God's grace in Christ. So are we. Ephesians chapter 5 helps us to understand the picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. This is why we would address this issue of cohabitation, because there's something better. Hear me today if you find yourself in this place. There's something better. Hear me today if you have a son or a daughter who is in this place, a grandson, a granddaughter, a niece, a nephew is in this place. There's something so much better, and it's marriage. It's God's good gift. It's the picture of the gospel. As we talked about last week, every time a husband sacrifices for his wife, every time he lays down his wants, his needs, his desires for her, he is picturing the Lord Jesus Christ who laid his life down on an old rugged cross to redeem sin-soaked people from the grave. And every time a wife submits to the godly leadership of her her husband, especially when she doesn't fully agree or when her opinion is different, but she chooses to walk with her husband and to follow his leadership in their home, that is an example of how the church submits to the leadership of Christ. We are picturing and painting the gospel with our lives. This is why marriage is so important. And folks, let me say something based on last week's message. The greatest threat to traditional marriage today is not coming from the homosexuals. Hear me. The greatest threat to traditional marriage, God-honoring covenant marriage between a man and a woman for life, the greatest threat is coming from heterosexuals who do not value God's good gift. Husband, hear me. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and lay your life down for her so that you might paint the gospel every day. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord that you might paint the gospel every day. Our society is aching for this gospel and they don't even know it. They're running to all manner of other things to try to fill the void that only our infinite God can fill. 
Ephesians chapter 5 says it this way, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound. What he's saying is, I don't fully understand it. It's deeper than I can quite grasp, but I know this. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We're going to get to Ephesians 5 a few months from now, and I'm so excited about us diving into this gospel picture of marriage even deeper than we can this morning. But know this. What God has given us in marriage is so good, and anything that distorts and diminishes and seeks to destroy it is not worth your time, especially not worth your life. This is a gospel issue. Secondly, this is a Genesis issue. We go all the way back to the creation and we find in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, everything that we believe as Christians is founded there. The basis for it all is found in those first 11 chapters, foundational truths about what it means to be human, male and female, created in the image of God, of equal worth before God, given different roles, yes, but of equal worth and value before God. And we find out what it means to be sinners. To sin is to commit heinous rebellion against a holy God. The word sin is very small, and sometimes we diminish that word. We forget that the I at the middle of that word reminds us that the problem is right here. When we think of sinners, we think about those people out there. They're the sinners, but if we would be reminded this morning, the sinner is here. It's I. It's me. I'm the problem. And this word means that I, myself, I have created, I have committed heinous rebellion against a holy God. Someone would look at Adam and Eve and say, it was just a piece of fruit, Right? I mean, what's the big deal? In the very next generation, Cain murdered his brother Abel in cold blood. And the true nature of sin was seen. Folks, when we see this good picture of marriage and the sin that so easily distorts it and diminishes it and seeks to destroy it, You know, some would even say, well, we're already planning to get married. In fact, we're, we're already engaged. It's, it's not like we're not going to be engaging in sexual activity a few months from now, so why not now? Don't buy the lie. Because the truth is so much better. Because in buying that lie, you are stealing from yourself. You're the owner of the Walmart in that picture. And you're stealing from yourself what God has given as a great and wonderful gift for your spouse to be able to give to them. Young people, please hear me. Do not steal from your future husband or your future wife by engaging in sex outside of marriage. Far, far too long the church has just said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. All we know is the law. But the grace of God says, I've given you this good gift. Don't squander it. Such a beautiful gift to be able to give your spouse. And I know that it's difficult. 
I've walked in those days. My wife and I have talked about in years past how we dated for far too long. Having dated a month, we knew we were supposed to get married and we lingered in that state for three years. And the temptations were beyond what I even want to talk to you about this morning. And I'm telling you, don't do it. There's something better that God has for you. You see, in the God's act of creation, He created Sex. Sex is not this dirty, awful thing. Sex is this beautiful, wonderful thing that God created as a gift for husbands and wives. It's reserved for the husband and wife relationship. And there it is good and God-honoring and beautiful. It's a sign of the covenant relationship to the point where Paul literally says to men in the church, fulfill your role in this area to your wives. There is a biblical command, husbands, have sex with your wives. You want me to show it to you, you can come to me after the service and I'll show you exactly where it is. And the men are going, amen, that's a good verse. Show me that one and I'm going to go after it. Praise the Lord. And the same thing for wives. Fulfill your duty to your husbands. Because in doing so, we say this covenant that God has given us is so good. So good. Some would say in this issue of cohabitation, well, what if we live together but we don't have sex? I kind of got two words for that. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's happening. I remember those days, folks. I remember when God brings the love of your life into your world And you want nothing more to be with them. And being with them means you really want to be with them. If you know where I'm going with that statement. I remember the temptations. I remember what it was like. And I remember falling far too many times. Dave Stone, the pastor at Southeast Christian Church, tells this wonderful story of a a mother who went to visit her son. He had moved into a new apartment, uh, and she went to visit him for the first time, and she knocked on the door, and he came to the door. He opened the door, and immediately there was a woman there at the door. Within just a couple of minutes, she realized this was her son's roommate. Her son took her aside a few minutes later and, and tried to, uh, to ease her conscience and said, Mom, don't worry. It's not what you think. We're just friends. She sleeps in that room over here. I sleep in this room over here. You don't have to worry. about. We're just friends. We, we're just sharing rent. And it's nothing for you to worry about. That evening, the, the young lady had prepared a nice crock pot of soup. They sat down. They ate their soup together. They enjoyed time together. And it came time for the mother to leave. And she got in her car and she went back home. Four days later, she got an email from her son. Dear Mom, Thanks for coming to visit us. We really enjoyed our time with you. Hope to see you again soon. Just one quick question. Ever since you were here, we can't seem to find our soup ladle. I know that you did the dishes that night, and we're not accusing you of anything, but we just can't seem to find our soup ladle. Can you perhaps tell me where it might be? Immediately the mother replied, Dear son, I too enjoyed our time together. I hope to see you again soon. And I'm not accusing you of anything either, but if your roommate would look in her own bed, she might find the soup ladle. Some of you all get that on the way home. 
Why do we deceive ourselves so much that we also seek to deceive others? To paint our lives as if they're much more holy and righteous than they are. We come into this place, we put on our church faces, we pretend like everything is fine and good and holy and righteous when we are a mess. And apart from Christ, we're a hopeless mess. And all the while, we see that marriage is the plan of God. It's good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's difficult. I'm surprised my wife didn't say amen on that particular point. It's hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But it's so good and so worth it. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The one flesh relationship is the gift of God to husbands and wives by which they picture the gospel. May that be true of us finally this morning. This is a gospel issue. This is a Genesis issue. And this is a grace issue. Aren't you thankful that God was not so cruel as to give us sexual desires with no outlet in which to express them? I mean, that's ultimate cruelty, I'm going to tell you. To have those kind of desires and for God to have given no outlet for their right and God-honoring expression would have been cruel. And in fact, if you want to get real technical this morning, God actually gave two proper outlets. Some of you guys are going to be surprised by this. There are actually two biblical God-honoring outlets of expression for sex. One of them, as we've already talked about, is in a monogamous, heterosexual marriage, a covenant marriage before God, husband and wife, enjoying the sign of the covenant in that relationship. And the other one is in celibate singleness. Both of which, by the way, the Bible talks about as a gift. Read 1 Corinthians 7 if you don't believe me. The Bible talks about celibate singleness as a gift from God to those who are able to receive it. The Apostle Paul says, I wish that all were as I am. We know that Paul was unmarried and he was living that life. He said, I wish that all were as I am because it frees you up to be able to serve the Lord in ways that married folks can't because they have a lot of burdens that us single folks don't have. I've seen some of my single friends in ministry being able to live this out in a way that honors God. They're able to give of themselves in a way that as a married man with three kids, I just, I can't. It's a gift. And so what's the strategy for taking part in this grace? Look, I'm going to give you some final pointers as we finish up today. Verse 18, the strategy is this. Flee from sexual immorality. In chapter 10, he says the same thing about idolatry. Flee from idolatry. You see this word a few different times, and I looked up. It's the Greek word fuego. It sounds like the uh, Spanish word for fire. It has nothing to do with fire, by the way though fire would be a good thing to flee. But I looked this word up and I thought, maybe this word, maybe it has a particular nuance. And, and I discovered something really amazing. And I want you to lean in close, physically, just lean this direction. I'm going to give you the best part today. The youth are doing, nobody else is. <laughs> this word, flee, it's an awesome word. 
in the Greek especially, if you, if you didn't know the Greek, you wouldn't get this. And so I mean, you're leaning in and you're going to hear the greatest part today. The word flee in the Greek, you ready for this? It means flee. <laughs> Run. Escape. Get out. Exit. Stay away from. But we'd rather toe the line. One of the biggest questions I ever got asked as a youth minister, you all know it. How far is too far? I'm going to address that question, by the way, in October in a way that might really surprise you. But for now, know this. Rather than towing the line, trying to see how far can I go before I cross over into sin, perhaps we ought to be asking ourselves, what does it look like to flee? To run away. To see that line as death and destruction in my life and to get so far away from it, not in some hideous legalism, but in some God-honoring love to say, I love you so much, Lord, that I don't want to toe that line anymore. I don't want to keep pressing the boundaries because here's what happens to the line, guys. I know it from my own life. You set the line. We're not going to go any farther than this. And then guess what happens? You toe the line, and before long, it's not just your toes that are across the line. It's your whole body. Don't toe the line. Flee. Run away. It's a matter of consecration, glorifying God in your body. One of the questions that's asked about this issue of cohabitation, you hear it all the time in our culture today. Well, how, if we don't live together and we don't have sex before we get married, how will we know if we're sexually compatible? Here's how you'll know if you're sexually compatible. You will know if you're sexually compatible if, number one, you are attracted to the person that you're wanting to have sex with. That's a good place to start. And number two, you'll know you're sexually compatible if he has the right guy parts and she has the right girl parts. I'm not trying to be graphic this morning, folks, but this is ridiculous stupidity in our culture today. We wouldn't even know what sexual compatibility was if we weren't doing things that would make us ask those questions. Isn't that true? God made Adam and Eve perfectly sexually compatible, and I can guarantee you He will do that for you in the day when you say, I do to your husband or to your wife. But please don't drag yourself into that relationship bearing the baggage of so many other relationships in which you've given yourself away to those who were not worthy of what you were giving them. You don't save yourself for marriage because you're under the law. You save yourself for marriage because it is the grace of God. And so we glorify God in our bodies. One other issue that I want to address that I know comes up in relation to this issue, and it's real. I don't want to minimize it. I know many choose to live together because of economic reasons. 
It's a hard economy. I don't want to pretend like this is not reality, but I remember what it was like to be young and poor and married, and I can guarantee you that's still better. Some would say, well, isn't one rent better than two? Well, yeah, but I can guarantee you it's not worth the price of the guilt that you will carry. It's just not worth it. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't move in with it. Flee by the grace of God to something that is better. And if you know you're supposed to get married to this person, then by the grace of God, do it for crying out loud. Because marriage is a place of grace. It's where you will experience the riches of God's favor in your life. It's where God teaches us to love. And then he brings kids into the picture, and you learn to love like you never knew how to love before. And he expands your family, and he just deepens you in that love. And every bit of it is him pouring his grace into your life. It's so good. Why would we settle for anything less? Matthew 19, Jesus said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what do we do? Hopefully you've heard what the word has to say. Now you may be asking, well, what do we do? How do we respond to these scriptures. Let me give you just three things today as we finish up. First of all, we've got to learn to love marriage, folks. And I mean love it. This is the good gift of God that we would be so excited about marriage. I wish there was more hooping and hollering going on at wedding ceremonies than there is. We're all kind of solemn, and there's this moment, and, and, and then when it gets to the kiss, then maybe there's a little bit of hooping and hollering, but usually it's just polite applause. We ought to be excited because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The husband and wife being joined together, that moment when the doors in the back of the sanctuary open and you see that beautiful bride and she's beaming from ear to ear and you see that dude that's not looking as good as she is, but he's still looking pretty good for himself, standing at the other end of the aisle and he's beaming from ear to ear, or he better be beaming from ear to ear. And you see that moment when she walks down the aisle to him. We ought to be rejoicing in our hearts because that is Christ coming for his church that's the gospel it's beautiful why do we settle for anything less hebrews 13 4 says let marriage be held in honor among all let the marriage bed be undefiled for god will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous that we would love marriage that we would hold it in the highest of esteem that we would not think about separating what God has joined together. My wife and I had a discussion before we ever walked down that aisle. My wife and I had a discussion that divorce would not be an option for us. I'm not saying this is a prescription for every marriage, but it was for us. We had this discussion. Whatever happens in this relationship, no matter how rough it gets, no matter how hard it will be, and there have been hard times, but we made the decision 
Divorce will not be an option. And I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying to any of you in this room that that has become an option. I'm not saying anything about your relationship or your walk before the Lord. I'm just saying that was what was true for us. And God has honored that. Marriage is hard. Many of you in this room know how difficult it can be. Some of you have stayed with your spouses in the face of adultery, in the face of disease, in the face of economic hardships, and you've walked through the fire together, and God's honored it. Church, we've got to learn to honor marriage. Second, this is really simple, that we'd listen and obey. I think it's clear what the Bible says is that's not the issue for us. The issue is not, well, I'm not really sure what the Bible says about this issue. The issue for us is, what do I do with it? Listen and obey. You go over to John chapter 8 and you find Jesus. There's a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. She was ripped out of that place and dragged before Jesus. The penalty in that day was death, that they would take her outside of the walls of the city and stone her to death as a penalty for her sin. And of course, you know how it went down. Jesus looked at that crowd and he said, He who is without sin, you cast the first stone. Whichever one of you is sinless, you cast the first stone. And then when they had all departed, Jesus said this. He stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Hear me clearly, folks. If you find yourself in the place where you're engaging in premarital sex, you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whatever the situation might be that is outside of God's good and gracious and glorious plan, would you hear Jesus saying this to you? I don't condemn you at the same time. Go and sin no more. That's grace at its farthest. Love God's good gift. Listen and obey. And finally, today, this is our last point. Know that life abundant is found in Christ alone. John chapter 4, Jesus sat down at the well there in Samaria with that Samaritan woman. He wasn't socially, culturally even supposed to be speaking to her at all. The disciples were astounded when they came back and found Jesus was talking with a woman in broad daylight. The fact that she was even at the well in the middle of the day was an indication of the fact that she was a social outcast. And because of her lifestyle choices, no one else would want to go to the well with her. If they even saw her there, they would shun her. And so she came in the heat of the day when she knew no one else would be there. And Jesus, in conversation with this woman prior to, she didn't have to confess anything. He looked at her and knew exactly everything that was going on in her life. And he said, Woman, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. I think she said that fairly innocently. And Jesus said, you're, what you say is true. I know that you've got five husbands. Or you've had five husbands. And now the dude you're living with now, you guys aren't even married. 
And I'm sure she was expecting in that moment for the hammer to fall, for him to say, you wicked, sinful, adulterous, hideous woman, get out of my presence. But instead, Jesus said this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What Jesus was saying to that woman was, I've got such a better deal for you. Because the living water is me, Jesus said. You want to know life in abundance? Don't settle for the garbage that this world doles out. Don't settle for the deceitfulness this world tries to sell you on, the deceptions, the half-truths, the false truths, all the lies of this culture. Look to the very Word of God and be able to say with all faith, this is better. This comes from my God who loves me. He's not some cosmic killjoy that wants to keep me from enjoying life. He wants me to enjoy life in all of its abundance. So why would I settle for anything less? I know these are hard issues, folks. And I know for those of you that are either in a cohabiting relationship or dealing with someone who is, this is something we just don't talk about. But we talked about it today. And I hope that you've heard the message of God's grace. He has something so much better. And it's hard to take that step and to get married. It's hard. And it's hard to take that step and move out and possibly end that relationship. That is hard. But I can guarantee this based upon the authority of God's word. If you will walk in obedience to his commands, if you will honor him with your life's choices, he will bless you. You might say, well, how is he going to bless me? I don't know. Those bills you're worried about, he'll make a way. That past guilt that you're dealing with, he can cover it in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that was poured out at that cross. But it's got to take a step of you hearing his word, knowing that it is what is good and right and true. And saying to the God who loves you, I want your ways more than I want my own. Could we pray together? Lord, I make my prayer for us today these simple points of application that we've just talked through. That first of all, would you cause to rise up within each of us in this room a great love for your gift of marriage so much so that we would not have any desire for anything less than that covenant relationship between a husband and a wife 
standing before God, making vows to one another that are kept for a lifetime and picturing the beauty of your gospel day in and day out. And Lord, help us to listen and obey. I know that for some in this room, this means there are some hard conversations that need to come this week. Things that we would shy away from and avoid at all costs. And yet, Lord, would you give us that Galatians 1.10 mindset that we desire to please you more than we desire to please others. And so we'll have those hard talks. We'll go speak the truth in love. Fill us with grace and truth, God, that we might do what you call us to today. And Father, today I pray finally that we would find abundant life in Christ, not settle for the counterfeits of this world, not water down the truth of this gospel. I pray for those of us who are cohabiting in our relationship with you. We're not fully committed. We have a try it before we buy it mentality in relationship to you, God, and I pray that you would cause faith to spring up in us. that we would lay our lives down before you as an offering, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing in your sight with no takebacks. These are matters of faith, Lord. So give us grace. Help us to walk, to take the next step, and to honor you in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing this song together. Here's what I want you to invite you to do today. I want you to ask the Lord, what would you have me to do in response to your word today? If there's a hard conversation that needs to happen this week, would you commit before God that it's going to happen this week? Maybe for some of you this means that I'm going to have to find a new place to live. I'm going to have to move up our, our wedding day. Whatever it means to walk before God in holiness and purity, do that thing. And here's my challenge to you. If you're lacking the strength right now in this moment, you come to this altar and you ask God to give you what you need. He's faithful, folks. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He has an awesome and amazing plan, but you've got to trust him. If you need that kind of faith, come to this altar. Kent and I will be standing here. And one last thing, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of this faith, the source of all grace, all the love of God wrapped up in him, if you don't know Jesus, but you want to know him today, you step out from where you are, it will be our great privilege to introduce you to the lover of your soul, the Savior who gave his life for you. You respond as we sing together.